Will Trump be arrested on campaign finance fraud charges? Well, we'll look at it, but I think there's actually a more important story within this story. And it's, do we trust our government anymore to do what is in the best interest of justice or rather to serve their own institutional agenda. When we see the government spying on local churches during COVID, we see Hollywood elites and their exposure of an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood. And then we see Joe Biden telling us it's sinful not to mutilate children. One could only help but believe that there is an agenda, and because it's anti-truth and anti-God, we may be in trouble unless we do something about it. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. Now, if you will, go with me in your imagination to a time, a far, far distant land, long ago, where interest rates were in the twos and threes, two years ago before Joe Biden took office. Now, let's crash directly into the present and get back to reality. Yes, interest rates are horrible. And no, you cannot trust anybody, right or left, especially Joe Biden, to do anything fiscally responsible in our political class. But what you can do is you can take your family's financial future into your own hands. The way you do that is by going to get pre-approved for a home loan today. So if you're in the real estate market, whether that's to invest in the market or to buy a home for yourself, what are you waiting on? In the future, you'll be able to, once we get back to a sense of normalcy, hopefully that'll happen, you'll be able to refinance, you'll be able to get a lower interest rate. But in the meantime, what you don't want to do is you don't want to continue to waste money by paying somebody else's mortgage if you're renting or waiting for the right price and the right home to pop up when, frankly, things aren't going to get better anytime soon. But you can act today to go ahead and lock in a rate while they're at their present place before it gets any worse. And you can make a move to help secure your family's financial future because you need to start investing in assets like real estate that are going to appreciate in value. So yeah, the interest rates aren't great, but you still can make gains and secure your family's financial future by going to our friends over at Element Home Loans and the Kevin Blair team. Now you do that by going to kbmtg.com. And when you go to kbmtg.com, Make sure to let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, by now, you have probably heard uh, that Donald Trump is potentially going to be arrested today or sometime this week on campaign fraud allegations. Now, the allegations stem back to a payment that was made by Michael Cohen, the attorney for Donald Trump, to a porn star, uh, Stormy Daniels. And I don't like to use the word porn star, so let's just use the word prostitute. Um, because there's no star n involved here. So he gave a $130,000 to Stormy Daniels as hush money to cover up the alleged affair that took place between Donald Trump and this prostitute. Now, it's said that uh, that money came from Cohen, but that $130,000 came from the campaign of Trump into Cohen's hands and that that was actually that same hush money going to Stormy Daniels, which obviously would constitute a misappropriation of funds and is a federal offense. And so in response to this, Donald Trump posted just last week a, a post on social media that kind of lit a firestorm in the media and on social media because of what he said in it. So he said this, 
now illegal leaks from my corrupt and highly political Manhattan District Attorney's Office, which has allowed new records to be set in violent crime and whose leader is funded by George Soros, indicated that with no crime being able to be proven and based on old and fully debunked fairy tale, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States, don't you love it when he talks about himself that way? Uh, former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest. Take our nation back. Here's my response to that, frankly. No, I don't want to protest. I want to know the truth. And frankly, it's getting a little bit old to hear Donald Trump constantly call for the American people to his defense rather than to do what is in the best interest of the American people. And, And what is in the best interest of each and every one of us is for the truth to be known here. But this, at the end of the day, is the real problem. No matter how Trumpy you are, or no matter how Democrat you are, I hope we can both agree that the truth matters here and we need the truth. Hopefully we won't just merely defend Trump out of a sense of loyalty and allegiance to him, and hopefully we won't totally disregard Uh, the due process system of American jurisprudence in order to get back at Trump because we hate him so much. Hopefully, we will want justice to be served here, which is that if Donald Trump did actually do this, it will come to light, we will know about it, and justice will be served. But I think it's fair to state, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, that we will probably never know, either because of a political agenda that is out to get Trump or of a contrawise political agenda that is out to defend him at all costs. It's more and more that we see this kind of thing in society today that we're not sure we can trust our social institutions to tell us the truth and to do what is in the best interest of the American people. Let me give you a for instance. The DA in question here who has brought these charges up against Trump is a Manhattan district attorney, which means he does not have the judicial jurisdiction to actually press federal charges against Donald Trump since he's just a city DA. Now, that hasn't stopped him from doing this, and it brings to light the question of whether or not if Trump is arrested, whether or not it will be legitimate in the first place. And so all of this leads to this bigger problem. And I've talked about it on the show in the past, that we do not trust our institutions anymore. And the mistrust of our social institutions is highly problematic. Now, I've talked about kind of the repercussions of that in the past, but I've never talked about why we do not trust our institutions or what is the chief vector for the kind of mistrust that is being bred in the present with our institutions. And I can ultimately nail it down to one ideology that is running rampant in all of our social institutions that is to blame for the reason that there are people who put gender above truth and desire to do what is in their best interest rather than in the best interest of the American people. There is one ideology that runs rampant through all of our institutions in the present today that is the chief vector, the chief problem. And that's ultimately what the show is going to be about today. And if I were to put that in In simple terms, I would just say that it is the ideology of secular humanism that is the animating principle for everything that we do as a society, and it is a problem. So let me explain that. uh, that Let me give you a definition, and then I'll explain. The definition for secular humanism is ultimately the idea that for self-fulfillment and for morality, we do not need God. 
You don't need God for any of that stuff. Now, that is the operating principle for much of what is taking place on a regular basis in our society today. Well, here's the real problem with secular humanism. If you don't need God for morality and you don't need him for personal fulfillment, then ultimately, essentially, there is no higher authority that keeps you telling the truth. In other words, secularism is polytheism. And what I mean by that is that ultimately, when God is not on the throne, you get to take his place. You get to be God in the place of God, and there is no higher authority making sure that you tell the truth. The only God that you have is yourself and your agenda. That's why you can have a Democratic Party more interested in making sure that they throw allegation after allegation after allegation against Trump until one of them sticks. And frankly, you can have people on the right that are not willing to entertain the fact that Trump might have done something illegal simply because of that fact. And ultimately, it keeps us not only fighting with each other, but drowning in a sea of irrelevance and in a sea of subjective morality where we cannot know the truth and we don't know the truth because we're constantly being lied to and we do not place a higher authority in our lives to dictate the truth to us. Let me put this to you in terms of what we see in the public school system and how secularism and secular humanism is consistently weaving its way into our institutions. There is an obvious anti-Christian bias in the public school system. Now, you may say, well, that's good because we need separation of church and state. Well, hold on just one second. Let's think about this logically, if we will. See, we say no Bible classes in school, but certainly we're okay with, uh, apparently, uh, classes about gender identity in school. Uh, so we can't have a conversation about whether or not the Bible has rational arguments, but we can have classes about whether or not biological sex is merely assigned at birth. So we can't have church history classes, and we can't talk about how much the Reformation has fundamentally shaped the Western world and our nation. But we can institute 1619 Project-esque racial classes that create animosity against races rather than actually teach authentic history. So we can teach pseudo-history, but we can't teach real history. Now, uh, we, we, and the same thing happens in science class. We can't teach creation classes because we believe in the science. But of course, we can issue forth meritless mask mandates all across school systems, but we can't actually talk about the fact that science doesn't even happen, historically speaking especially, without there being order in nature. And if there is order in nature, might there be intelligence behind that? See, it's at least interesting to have these conversations from an intellectual perspective and should be in bounds in the public school system. But no, We'd rather say, take prayer out of schools and we'll just replace it with moments of silence while we have school shooters shooting up schools across America and then we wonder why. Because we've taken out the moral strength of our nation by removing the teaching of the Bible and removing Christianity as a legitimate worldview to be taught within the public school system. And then we wonder why our world has gone wild. During the pandemic, we saw signs all over people's yards that said, love is love and no person is illegal. Those signs were nothing more than a warning that the person that lives in this house behind this door is, is a person who has eaten up with the principles of secular humanism. Why else would they jump to a definition of love that is so circular and illogical in, in nature and not truly understand love the way that we as a society have understood it forever, at least from a religious perspective, if not a Judeo-Christian perspective? No, but in the present, we find ourselves telling school children that the cure for your soul's issues, for your depression, 
is to chop off your breasts and to chop off your penis. But we cannot, the one thing we will never do is tell them to go to church and pray. No, we want to tell them life-altering surgery is the cure for your soul's issues. And look what it's doing to people. Just recently, Dylan Mulvaney, a grown adult man pretending to be a woman, threw a birthday party for himself for being a year old as a girl. Not just a woman, a girl. So supposedly he's a year into girlhood and needed to throw a party where he charged people ticket prices to come to this birthday party to celebrate his year-old party as a girl. But on full display in the midst of this party, the mask slips a little bit and we see how desperate people are getting for meaning and purpose in our secular age. So check it out. And you know what? I'm feeling lucky. Let's Google my name. Dylan Mulvaney show. is intentionally degrading women every time he does this woman face minstrel show routine. That one can say he is a woman and become one of the most influential women in America in just six months of wearing dresses and ironing his hair. The patriarchy always wins, gang. Oh, and there is Dylan Mulvaney as Audrey Hepburn. The difference being that Audrey Hepburn was an actual woman with a vagina. Why would you give them even a second of your big day? Well, these are the people I have to deal with on a regular basis, so I thought I should include Zinat. them in the evening. But that doesn't mean you have to listen to them. Well, I've always loved a little constructive criticism. Baby, there's nothing constructive about that. Right. And it's not just criticism, it's indoctrination. Mm -hmm. Trans and non-binary people have been around for thousands of years. And if I only could, I'd make a deal with God, not get him to swap. Can we pause there? I'm gonna say something that might make people feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I'm trying really hard to maintain a relationship with God, and I don't think that he made a mistake with me. Um, and that maybe one day I will actually be grateful for being trans. That this isn't some curse, but it's just a different path to the same destination. So what you just saw right there is Dylan Mulvaney responding to the cast and crew of the podcast over at the Daily Wire and explaining how these people have been mean to him and how he needs people to encourage him as a result of that. And then him kneeling down in the midst of his performance while singing um, and, and explaining how he wrestles in his soul with his sexual identity. Now, I'm prepared to admit that all of this may just simply be a performance. Um, but there, at the end of the day, is a deep truth hiding underneath, even if this is a fictitious performance, because he couldn't but help show the world what's really going on in his soul, and that is that he's lost. It's made a generation of people who are so desperate to be noticed that they are willing to pay professional actors to encourage them on stage rather than to actually deal with the issues at hand. And all the while, a group of people who paid to watch somebody who is most likely mentally ill and definitely struggling, this group of people who paid to sit there will just clap along the way as this individual sadly searches for meaningful answers for his soul and finds none. Because we as a society have rejected meaningful answers and spiritual answers and religious answers rather and deferred to mechanical answers like surgeries and pretending to be something that we're not. How can we not see that secular humanism is the blight upon our nation that is causing so many of the problems that we see in the present? 
And if we don't do something about it, we'll sound like Soren Kierkegaard in this parable about a clown in a crowded theater. He said this, A fire broke out backstage in a theater. The clown came out to warn the public. They thought it was a joke, and they applauded. He repeated the warning. Their acclaim was even greater. I think that's just how the world will come to an end. General applause from wits who believe it's all a joke. See, we need to take seriously the encroaching repercussions of secular humanism, or we may find that the very thing that we applaud right now publicly because we're too afraid to tell the truth will be the thing that is actually our demise, and it's weaving its way through every single one of our institutions, as we'll see in our stories today. Early on in the pandemic, we had a conversation kind of nationally as to what constitutes something that is essential. Even on the show, I had conversations with people on our guest show about whether or not church should be considered essential. Regardless of what you think about the matter, it is undeniable that we allowed liquor stores to be essential, but we told churches that they need to shut down. And the repercussions of this have weaved their way into society, especially among young teenagers, where we see one in three Young girls in America have suicidal thoughts. Now, that is an exponential increase above what we were experiencing before the pandemic. Now, by the way, social media has exponentially increased the suicide rate, especially among young girls, but it was furthered and catalyzed by what we did during the pandemic simply because we said things like church where people can commune with others, where they can worship, where they can hopefully find some of the answers to their soul's ache. We shut those down and said those are non-essential. Now, in the process of not only declaring that church was not essential, those few brave pastors who were willing to push against the idea that a church could be considered not essential and that the government could dictate to society more broadly what exactly is essential and what is not essential and that people would follow along with it, there were some brave pastors who withstood that idea. Now, that didn't stop the government from trying to do their darndest to make sure that people obeyed them in what is only what only can be considered as soft totalitarianism, if not totalitarianism proper. We saw at least one church being surveilled and being targeted by a local government, and this in San Jose, California. I'm going to read an article for you from the Free Press. A church, the state, and a holy war. Calvary Chapel in Silicon Valley refused to close during COVID lockdowns, arguing freedom of religion. Then the government surveillance began. Now, I want to take just a moment to read this article to you, not only to showcase the bravery of this pastor, but also to show you how the government, when inundated by secular humanism, can find themselves surveilling churches and doing so without it actually weighing upon their conscience at all. So the article goes on to say this. It was Father's Day 2020 at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, and Marcy Dower was walking with her husband, Monty, along the beach in Santa Cruz when they noticed a young woman sitting alone by the pier, disoriented and crying. She said she had lost her phone and her friends, says Marcy. It was 1 p.m., and I could smell alcohol on her breath. I asked her how she'd get home, and she said, I don't know. The girl was 18 years old. Marcy who has been a practicing Christian for 40 years, asked the young woman if she could pray with her, and she said yes. Afterward, the woman confided in the dowers that she had been raped. 
Marcy offered the woman a ride to the hospital or police station, but she refused. She said she wanted to go to church. Amazing story to start with there. But let's see the complications with, with doing just that during the pandemic. As far as Marcy knew, no churches were open in Santa Cruz at the time due to the COVID-19 lockdown ordered by Santa Cruz County's Public Health Department. The couple's own church in nearby Santa Clara County had been closed for months because of, because of similar restrictions. But Marcy kept in touch with the woman, and a week later, she heard from a friend that Calvary Chapel in nearby San Jose was open. So the next Sunday, we took her. When Marcy, her family, and the young woman walked through the church on June 28, 2020, just weeks after Dr. Anthony Fauci declared COVID-19, his worst nightmare came to life. She saw some 300 people singing gospel hymns played by musicians on the violin and guitar. A slender, gray-bearded man gave them a nod from behind the pulpit. He was unmasked, and so was almost everyone in the church, including Marcy. A lunch afterward... At lunch afterward, the young woman expressed how much the service meant to her. At that time, nothing was normal, and she needed normalcy. Marcy said of her companion, it was healing for her. Now, I think this is super, super interesting, just to stop real quick, because how many, this is an isolated anecdotal story, obviously, but how many people actually were suffering from the very same thing, but found no place of hope, no place of restoration, except for potentially uh, outlets just to issue forth drugs and prescription medications to an individual who's suffering with some form of depression, rather than this kind of holistic and more important healthy way of dealing with the issues that are going on in your life. And so ultimately, thank God for this one anecdotal story and this one young girl who was able to find hope because a church refused to shut down in the midst of Fauci's fear-mongering. The article goes on and it says this. At first, Calvary abided by the lockdown rules, but two months later on Sunday, May 24th, Pastor Mike McClure, known to his flock as Pastor Mike, gave a sermon outside his church. God doesn't want us to isolate, he declared. All of us need to be in the sanctuary. I don't care what they say. I'm never again going to close our doors, ever. Church services were held the following Sunday and every Sunday after in open defiance of the law. Now, what a man. We need more pastors like him. The article goes on. In August of 2020, as part of a civil enforcement program, the county created a business compliance unit of 10 employees tasked with investigating any violations of COVID-19 regulations. Right there, we have the bureaucratic state on steroids. Uh, this civil enforcement program is absolutely a violation of civil rights to every single person in that city. And of course, that's what they went on to do. And the article says it also effectively encouraged citizens to act as spies to report on their neighbors using a special website and a hotline, promising that those who filed complaints could do so confidentially. Thank God for the SS uh, going around telling everybody how to rat on their neighbors. Doesn't sound like Nazi Germany at all. After an anonymous complaint was directed at Calvary on August 21st, 2020, the church was slapped with a cease and desist order for holding indoor gatherings. Two days later, officers from the compliance unit turned up at the church's doors and reported at least 100 masked people inside, not distancing and singing. Oh, the humanity of it all. From then on, officials observed the church reported on violations and hit it with fines. Each day, a violation was not corrected. The county doubled the fine for the violation up to a maximum of $5,000 per day. To date, the fines have piled up to a staggering $2.8 million. Now, I won't read the rest of the article. I'll link it down below for you. But just suffice to say, 
as the church consistently refused to obey what the city was telling them to do, they not only piled up fines, but they also sent surveillance agents uh, with this civil enforcement program to surveil this church and to consistently um, surveil them so that they could rack up this this huge $2.8 million fine. So in, in one part of the, the article, it says that a local church that is across the street uh, allowed government officials to come in and spy on the church from across the street through a gate that uh, that was around the church. So obviously the pastor of that church is an insufferable coward and gutless and spineless and heartless and brainless and probably other less things too that won't go go mentioned. But suffice to say, um, uh, the government in concert with a group of citizens ratting on a church so that it has crushing fines piled up on it just simply because they want to provide the kind of healing solve that can come to young girls like the one mentioned at the beginning of this story is, is absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous that they would think that they could get away with this too. Now the church is fighting back in court and the city is fighting back against the church and trying to countersue them. We'll see how this all shakes out, but, but hopefully... This slipping of the mask yet again by those in our government and those in places of positions of power, hopefully it helps us realize something, that the secular humanists in society, those who were responsible in the past for great atrocities, I would argue, uh, by the way, I would argue uh, Nazi Germany, uh, Stalinist Russia, and Maoist China, these, these secular humanist regimes, as long as you do what they say, they're perfectly happy to be your friend. But the moment you step outside of their prescribed rules, well, then you become the subject of surveillance, the subject of, 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 of scrutiny, and the subject of crushing fines in order to try to put you out of business. What is this except for to soft totalitarianism? So we, obviously, Nazi Germany is an overwrought symbol used by simple people who really don't even know anything about what took place in World War II. Um, but here it seems pretty accurate. It seems pretty accurate that not only are they trying to crush this church, but they are doing so because they disobeyed their rules. Now, these arbitrary rules defined by this county in San Jose uh, are, are, are the least of our concerns. The bigger and more broad concern is that secular humanism is a principle that when that, that kind of justifies this ideology, this, this mentality. It justifies it in this way. When God is not on the throne, somebody must take his place. Now, I've made this argument before, but so, so forgive me if you've heard it. And, um, and you can comment down below if uh, you love the argument. If not, thanks for watching. But um, Nietzsche argued that, that there was blood on the hands of the people who had killed God. But now that we have killed God, there was no one to wipe the blood away. And he asked this question, who shall clean our, the blood from our hands? Shall we not have to come up with our own festivals and our own um, ceremonies in order to justify the death of this being? In other words, Nietzsche was honest enough to understand that the repercussions for the death of God meant that there was a vacuum in society that would have to be filled. And ultimately, my argument is just this. When, when secular humanists are on the throne uh, and God is not, that this kind of stuff actually is not only plausible as we see in this story, but also rationally acceptable to the secular humanist because the people with the most amount of power can push it down on those who have less power. 
because the secular humanist has no greater power, no greater authority telling them and dictating to them how they should go about the truth. So nonetheless, we find ourselves in the present desperate to, to search for truth and to understand truth while the government suppresses it from the public. Now, I want you to be aware that it is not just the government and certainly local principalities and in San, San Jose who are doing these kind of things, but I think we all know that the, the institutional corruption uh, goes far beyond the government, and secular humanism has been uh, abiding as the operating principle in Hollywood for a long time, which brings us to something that Ryan Wilson just said. Now, of course, you know him as Dwight from The Office, but he made these startling comments about The Last of Us, this uh, kind of apocalyptic zombie drama thing on HBO that I haven't taken the time to see uh, because I don't care. But ultimately, he made this comment about it the other day that uh, that when a Christian came on the show, and the moment he started spouting Bible verses, he knew that the guy would be a villain. And of course, the reveal at the end of this episode on The Last of Us is that this Christian pastor quoting scripture is part of a cannibalistic cult. Of course, what else would he be? Certainly not the, the good guy. Uh, he has to be the bad guy. And, and Rian Wilson's comments are were, were something that caught people's attention just simply because it highlights something we all know, that there is an anti-Christian bias in the movies that we see, and in Hollywood general. And there's an anti-conservative bias. So if you're a conservative and you're a professed Christian, that you're going to find it harder and harder, slowly but surely, to, to make films. Now, I think the reality is, is that the vast majority of people who actually have the bravery to speak about these things are people who are not elites in in the in acting circles, which is why it's extraordinary that Mark Wahlberg, just lately for some reason, has really gotten the courage, I guess I'll say, to speak out against this stuff because Mark Wahlberg is definitely an elitist actor, um, somebody that's kind of in the upper echelons of the acting ranks in Hollywood, but but along with Dwight from The Office has also um, continually decried not only kind of the bias of, of, of Hollywood against Christianity, but also unapologetically asked his audience members and the people that follow him and the people that, that care about his work to pray with him and to believe along with him. And it's so extraordinary. And, and again, I'll link an article about Mark Wahlberg and him calling for prayer uh, and for others to pray along with him uh, in, in the uh, description of this video. But, but more importantly, I just want to remark on the extraordinary nature of this. We don't hear it in Hollywood often. What we hear from Hollywood is the aches and pains of the soul. We hear about divorces. We hear about cheating rumors. We hear about mental illness. We hear about materialism. We hear about progressivism, but we often don't hear about Christianity. And that is because we all know that by and large, the institutions of American society are, are dominated by the left. And certainly the left is dominated by the principle of secular humanism. Why else is it rare that mainstream Hollywood actors actually profess faith in something other than that little gold statue that they're all waiting to worship? one day if they have the opportunity to, to win one. I think we all know what's really at, at, at stake here is that there's an institution in society, much like we see in our government, that is anti-Christian, anti-God, and for that reason, anti-rational. Because they support the ideas of secular humanism, they have to fight to make sure that God is pushed out of the public square in everything they do. 
the reason I bring up Mark Wahlberg and the reason I bring up Dwight from The Office is not just that we see the systemic nature of uh, how secular humanism has invaded Hollywood and how there is a certain Christian bias that we see in many of the messaging in the movies that are that take place in society. It's it's that I also see how media has engineered who we are as people. See, it, it's at least debatable that that the media either describes or prescribes a way of life. Now, I think it's it's pretty I think it's pretty fair to suggest that they that often the media is prescribing a way of life. And the way of life that they're prescribing very often flies in contradiction to Christian principles and Christian ideas. Well, you might say, well, read, because the, these movies, that maybe they're just for entertainment value and they're not for some greater philosophical ideology. And, that, and I would say, okay, fine. You point to the ones that are just pure entertainment and don't have an ax to grind. And I'll point to about a billion other movies who absolutely have a secular humanistic ax to grind and wish to try to perpetuate that myth in society. So it's why people like Mark Wahlberg standing up right now is so vitally important because they're promoting a different message, a more redemptive message. Because when we see the suicide rate, when we see the lack of honesty coming out of, of Hollywood, and we see the lack of honesty coming out of our political realm, we have to start tracing back what is really the cause, the vector of these issues, and suggest that if we find that lurking underneath so much of the evils and the issues going on in society today is a principle of secular humanism that we might have to start suggesting that that flawed philosophy needs to be dealt with and eventually eradicated so that we can come back to a more meaningful and helpful view of society and a more meaningful and helpful view of humanity so that we can help the people who are struggling the most. I guess at the end of the day, I would say this, that there are consequences to ideas and we need to take those consequences seriously if we actually care about people. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, my big question is don't we have an obligation to help people who are desperate for meaning and struggling to come to meaningful answers? And in our last story, we'll see that certainly our political class is not interested in offering those as Joe Biden gives us his rendition of what sin actually looks like in our final segment for the show today, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. Our illustrious president is at it again, defining for us what true faith in the present secular humanistic age looks like. And of course, we all know that the orthodoxy of the present tells us that the most righteous and good thing you can do for children is to believe them when they tell you that they need their their healthy sex organs chopped off. And indeed, if you do not allow minors to do this, um, it is sinful. So here's our president giving us his latest rendition of Bible study. So check it out. Uh, transgender kids is a really harder thing. What's going on in Florida? is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. I mean, what, 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 what are they thinking about here? Now, let me just be really clear. I think Joe Biden to be an old fool and a corrupt politician. I don't think him as a thought leader, but I do believe that his thoughts come from a particular place. 
I think that even though they may not be widespread, there are people who believe what Joe Biden believes and that Joe Biden as a backslidden Catholic got the idea from somewhere or was at least allowed to adopt the idea from someplace. And I think ultimately, and I hope you sense through this, some intellectual honesty and some personal responsibility. I think that he got this idea because of the inactivity and the silence of the church on these issues. So by and large, these great existential questions that we should be operating in and answering in the present have have not been answered by some of our most important church leaders in the present. Rather, they've deferred and abdicated their responsibility and put Christian entertainment in its place rather than the historical role of the church to engage in culture and answer these questions for people who are desperately seeking them. And as a result, uh, people have not heard the answer from the church, and then they've developed their own answer in its place. And that's how you get Joe Biden saying what he just said. Ultimately, what I'm saying is that secular humanism has been allowed to proliferate because of the silence of the church. Or when we do talk, we say things like this. They don't say this because they want to be absolute. Well, why did they? I don't freaking know. I know, honestly, I wish God would have made it so much simpler and it was like A, B, C, or D, like frick. No, I'm serious. As a pastor, like, so what do you think about gay men? I don't know. I don't know why you're wrestling like that and I don't know what to do to help you but to stand with you and pray with you and not, and you're welcome at Transformation Church. Trans is in the title, Transformation, you can be here. So what you just saw there is Pastor Mike Todd giving us his best Kevin Hart impression while forgetting that he's actually a pastor and it might be good to give us a impression of a biblical pastor. Instead, he gives us theatricality and he gives us a bunch of excuses and tells us that he doesn't know why people have same-sex attraction. He doesn't know why God hasn't taken it from them and he just doesn't have any answers to anything and so instead he's just going to stand by the side of people and let them know that they are loved because after all, his church does have trans in the name. Now as hilarious as that is, what's really sad is that one, I think Mike Todd does know. I think he does know the answer to the questions that he just was talking about, but he just simply doesn't want to give them because he's afraid that if he does give them, the same people that are filling his seats this Sunday will not be filling them the next Sunday or the next Sunday because he's more interested in filling seats than he is in actually telling the truth. And in the process, there are a group of hurting people who desperately need answers, but instead find quiet pastors who are not really willing to stand up and address the, 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 the existential crisis that's going on in the present. See, secular humanism is invading not only our secular institutions, but also our religious institutions. To suggest that we need Mike Todd rather than God and rather than scripture to stand by us in a moment where we're asking deep, deep, meaningful questions is ridiculous. The church should have answers to existential questions, but many pastors are either incapable of answering those questions or unwilling. So I have a suggestion for you, Mike Todd. If you truly don't know the answers to these questions, then maybe you should step aside and get somebody on your stage who does. Because the rate of people leaving the church because we're not willing to stand up and speak out at this time is astronomical. Now, let me kind of give you the basis for this. 
Um, we, we have a recent poll that was released about why people are leaving church. And I want you to see this. So the top five reasons people are leaving church. Now, I'm not going to tell you who wrote this. I'm going to ask you to guess. And, uh, and then maybe you'll, you'll get it right. But let's, let's look at the, the reasons. So, so according to this article, the number one reason people are leaving church is, quote, we tell people the Bible is the basis of Christianity. So this is the real problem, according to this person. Now, by the way, this is a mega church pastor of a church of tens of thousands of people. Somewhere around thirty to 50,000 people go to this individual's church every single Sunday, and they do so in Atlanta. I bet you can't guess who the pastor responsible for this article is. But apparently, this pastor believes that uh, the people that leave church are simply doing so because pastors won't just stop preaching that pesky, darned Bible. Now, I know the argument is going to be, read. he said the basis of Christianity. He means that the Bible shouldn't be the basis of Christianity. A personal relationship with Jesus should be the basis of Christianity. Now, this is just absolutely ridiculous because you'd have to show me a Jesus that wasn't himself quoting Bible, that wasn't quoting the Old Testament. Or you'd have to show me why we shouldn't use the Bible as an authoritative source for the things that Jesus said. Otherwise, we're just kind of making it up as we go along, which may be the point at the end of the day for some of these guys. But more importantly, the idea that people are leaving the church because we are promoting the Bible as an important basis for Christianity is absolutely ridiculous. When you actually look at the polls here and you look at Pew Research and other places, you don't have to guess why people are leaving church. Now, there's always this kind of litany of excuses that are given in these polls. So I wanna to try to help you weave through them as our friend here in Atlanta suggests that the number one reason is the Bible, and then the other reasons underneath that is just that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Now, you get that in all of these polls, uh, that they were not welcome, they had a bad experience in church, but by and large, the number one reason that people actually leave church is that the church has not done a good job of giving answers for how faith and reason can actually be compatible with each other. So some people will put this in polls this way, that they don't understand how science and faith go together or science and religion go together. Um, it, it will come in a couple of different ways like that, but ultimately it will just be this at the end of the day. What people are saying when they say that is that ultimately pastors have not done a good job of answering existential questions for their audience. And if we're going to actually help people, we must do that. Because our silence on important issues actually are creating a culture for us that is more steeped in secular humanism than it is in, in Christianity. Is it any wonder that in the, the absence of real authentic pastors giving real answers to some of the biggest questions of our age, that people are filling in the blanks? See, we need more courageous pastors who are willing to tell us what the Bible says and do so unapologetically without fear of the repercussions of those things because the repercussions for not doing it is way worse. We need that, not half-wits in pulpits who admit that they don't know. We need some pastors who do and are willing and brave enough to share it with the rest of the world because in the meantime, the tears and the lives of people are at stake that could be solved by a church institution that wasn't eaten up with secular humanism, wasn't trying to remove God from the answer and just trying to provide meaningful experiences, but was actually trying to provide real answers to real questions. And until we do that, we'll keep on finding that people are leaving the church more and more and more. And when they do so, 
They do it with dire consequences. Now, if you believe that, I'd love to hear from you down in the comment section below. You can like, share, and subscribe to this podcast, but you can also go with God.